men. We are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have depth. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. I am really excited for you to be listening to today's episode because my guest, who's also a friend of mine, is someone who has worked with the highest level individuals and really brought together a process that helps you identify the areas of your life that you should be working on. And then also, and I'm a big proponent of this, is how to practically engage with those areas of your life in a way that you see change. So whether you're someone who is really high performing, but internally you're struggling with something or wrestling or feel empty or whatever it may be, or you are somebody who has done a whole lot of inner work, but you have not really found that momentum or that stride when it comes to seeing things come to fruition for you, regardless of where you lie on that. Today's episode is going to help you move into a healthier middle ground practically. And so grab a notebook, grab something to jot down some notes, because it's chalked full with the entire process that he walks people through to help them see fundamental change in their life. And as always, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. And I'll continue to beat the drum of asking for the favor of leaving a comment or leaving a review because those fuel me and they also fuel this message of healthy masculinity. All right, without further ado, let's get into how to find that healthy middle ground that moves you to your most authentic self. Well, I have, like I said before, I wanted to start to add voices to the conversation of masculinity. And there are less than, I'd say, three or four men that have contributed to where I'm at today, as well as I respect and rely on for where I'm headed. And the guest that we have today is one of those men. And so... um I'm really excited for you guys to be able to glean from his experience and wisdom and, and giftings. And we're also, just so you know, sitting out on his back patio. So when you hear the birds chirping and it's not the normal quiet setting, I actually kind of like this a little bit better. So, um, but without further ado, this is Dave Charlson. How's it going, Dave? Good. I, I know you can't say it because you know, we're doing this publicly, but of course I am your favorite. You tell me that privately all the time of those three or four men. I am of course your favorite. It's kind of like the grandparent that says every grandchild's their favorite. <laughs> so sure. Yes, I totally am. Well, I believe it. I believe it. So you've fooled me into believing that I'm your favorite. There I guess the other two or three are also your favorites and yep. they think the same thing. That's the trick to intimacy <laughs> with men. Just make them all feel like they're the favorite. Cool. Now, um, what are we talking about today, Dave? I want to talk about my, f well, one of my favorite topics um, is inner capacity versus outer capacity. Okay. 
that sounds really interesting. What the hell does that mean? That's a good question. Um, so I have a coaching business, consulting business, much like you, and um, I attract a lot of people that have developed massive outer capacity. Okay. Meaning they're experts in their fields. They've produced a lot of external results. Um, and they're attracted to me because they get so far out there and their inner world is in, they either have imposter syndrome or they find that, that they're not enjoying their success. They're, they're successful, but they're not fulfilled. Got it. So okay. I, I think of that person as someone that has built up their outer capacity muscle. It's almost like their right bicep is massive and their less left bicep, which is inner capacity, is atrophied. And then I also sometimes attract people that have massive inner capacity, but they are like spring loaded with potential energy and have not, and they're scared to death to, to go out and create some outer capacity. That's fascinating. Yeah. So let's, let's take each side of things and kind of talk about how you plug them into the other bicep per se, or how do you, how do you strengthen that other muscle? So let's start with the guys that let's say they have the outer capacity. They have the nice cars, the, the quote yeah. unquote success, the ability to launch businesses or grow businesses or excel in their career, whatever that yeah. outer capacity yeah. may be when they are either in that tension where they've achieved that success, but aren't satisfied. Or let's say, I mean, there's some guys that listen to this, that they're on their way to that. They mm-hmm. haven't necessarily mm-hmm. gotten to that pinnacle, but they know that there's something that's yeah. amiss. They're, they can feel that other muscle kind of being ignored. So how do you connect men to that other side of things when they've achieved Great that question. Success? So I find the interesting thing is the guys that have just, in some ways, just numbed out their inner world and gone and achieved um, they are in a worse place than the guy that instinctually knows, you know what, I'm not going to go build this outer muscle without my inner muscle also coming along for the ride. So I want to encourage those guys, number one, that you, oftentimes those guys that kind of have mediocre success, I find themselves comparing themselves to these guys that have achieved this mm, monumental yeah. and they they just look Teflon solid. The cool thing is when you get to coach those guys, they're effed up. <laughs> Right. So if you're one of these people that's like, oh my gosh, I'll never get there, um, don't be discouraged. Like, you actually probably are playing the long game. And so, first of all, I want to speak to that person. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, so, but the, but the other guy, the guy that's already out there, um, so I'll speak to that guy, the guy that's achieved massive outer success, but he's either longing for fulfillment or really is in a tense place where their marriage is struggling or their dating life sucks, or they just feel like a fraud and that they're going to get found out at any moment. I I track those people. The first thing I do with them is usually they'll come to me with a problem, like I have an anger management problem, or I have a porn problem, or I can't connect with my wife. They have a symptom problem. They have a symptom problem, and I I never, ever, ever treat the symptom. Yeah. Ever. Yep. I'll go, you have an identity problem. And, Wait, what? Right. And they'll go, well, how do I fix an identity problem? And all I'm concerned with is getting them back to their first love, to the childlike, innocent, inspired place that drove them. And, 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 and so the first thing we do is I just, I do, I do some interesting things okay. yeah. that allow them to ignore their symptoms 
and go back to the root of where it all started. Mm, that's really good. Um, a different thing that I've seen that I'm actually really curious, especially because you've worked with those high level individuals, is how do you, and I've wrestled with this personally, is for guys that, let's say that they have reacted to their pain mm -hmm. or they've essentially shut it down, but uh, let, let's use a common example. I grew up poor and so I'll never be poor. Right. Right. And so then that actually fuels their drive. They wake up early, stay yeah. up late. They're the hustler, right. all of that. Um, how do you connect them to that identity, that true identity, that inner world, and actually help them heal that part of themselves? Yeah. But not disengage the, the good side of drive yeah. that helps them move forward. Yeah. So. Number one is I, I, disal I, I literally won't even, I barely allow space for them to moan about their symptoms. I'll go, I, we'll get to your symptoms. I know yeah. you're in pain because usually guys come to me because they're in pain, right? So guys don't go to get help. We're not, a lot of us aren't good at vulnerability. So unless the pain's massive, you don't reach out to a coach. A lot of, a lot of us don't. Um, so the first thing I do is I say, we're going to do something that's a back door that will so I do something called the essence exercise. Um, it's a re it sounds woo-woo, but it, if you were to put a picture, 20 pictures of you on the wall and, and two, or th two or three of your close guy friends, we were to pick out which one of those pictures captures Josh's essence, okay. you doing different things. Like I have a picture of you on my phone, and it's of you um, uh, out on an elk hunt. And there's something about the smile on your face. It's not what you're doing. It's just there's something about you. Your eyes look wild. You look like you're living life to the full. And I'm like, that is Josh. So I, when you, I thought you were going to reference the uh, the picture you caught of me kissing the butt of a statue <laughs> <laughs> when we when we went to Reno. That also captures <laughs> but, your essence. But okay, all right. <laughs> but the elk hunt one is the one I choose to focus on. Yeah. You know? Okay. But all yeah, right. Good. Me too. Aspect of your essence that's in that that butt statue kissing. Yeah. I think I said I would give you $5 to do that or something, too. You did, yeah. and then you said you'd use it as blackmail, but now I just outed myself, so <laughs> it just kind of diffused that. Um, so the essence exercise, we do a 360 on the person, and I, I send a list of words that describe human beings in a positive way okay. to yeah. them, and then they send it out to their friends and family, and they end up with a list of about 30 words that they, they picked five words and some other people picked five words to describe who they are. Okay. And then from that, we do a, we take those words and I guide them through a process where we end up with only eight words. And then we end up with one word that connects all eight of those words. And a lot of these words that come from other people are people that this person doesn't see themselves as, let's say, disciplined. They don't see themselves. So it, what it does is it, it puts them, we, we create a space where they, they get to challenge some of these notions about themselves. Why, why do I feel like I'm a fraud when six out of 10 people see me as strong and disciplined? Sure, yeah. And so we'll, we'll have this moment where they have one word that is divinely inspired that allows them to connect to who they are outside of any performance. Okay. So it's almost like we create this space where, and then from there, and I'm, I, I help them engage those parts of their heart that they shut down in that process yeah. but it's yeah. a positive approach to it right the the confrontation with the lies and the vows of poverty like i'm never going to be poor yeah. that kind of gets flushed out in that process 
but it doesn't feel as threatening to those strong places in them that they've created these self-protective patterns from that vow. Yeah. This is like kind of a positive way and it and what they're left with is kind of a a new fresh start childlike exuberant innocent place where they can then begin to describe themselves to themselves again from free of all the constructs that they've built. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I I think I I remember doing that but specific for your gift, I remember there's and maybe this was a different exercise that really impacted me meeting with you was um, that because of your relationship with God, yeah, you will actually, you pulled a phrase, which was actually two words, yep. um, that encapsulated all of those other essence words yep. for me. Yep. And, you know, it wasn't on that list. We were talking and you're yep. like, you know, I just keep hearing the phrase apostolic maverick. Yep. And to me, I, I literally have a reminder on my Alexa um, that goes off periodically. I've set it so that I don't know exactly when it goes off. Yep. And it literally just says, Josh, you are an apostolic maverick and it's time for you to be revealed. Yep. And so that one phrase is really something that I've been able to anchor in to keep me moving forward mm-hmm. on kind of that external side of things. Yep. And what I like about the essence exercise is it doesn't matter if someone comes to me with their outer capacity muscle big or their inner capacity muscle too big. Is it um, that essence exercise? And I do have a gift like that. That is that exercise is something I developed over 20 years. Yeah. And it, it really allows my essence to come and I get those. I mean, I've done it now over 150 times and nine times out of 10, that phrase comes from me. And it, 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 it is definitely a divine gift that I have that allows people to see themselves from a fresh perspective. Yeah. And I won't let, we, when we do that work, I won't let it end until I'm 100% satisfied that that person has had that epiphanic mm, moment. Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep going at it until they get it. And I've, we've never failed. Like I've, I've had the most shut down heart people. It doesn't matter. Like that that moment happens for everybody. Um, actually, I just had a call a couple weeks ago from a guy that we, I did it with him a year and a half ago, and he called me just to say, hey, that thing we did a year and a half ago, it is suddenly blowing up in my life, and wow. I can't thank you enough. So I know I have that assurance that, yep, that's going to be one of those moments that is kind of like a, a reset for everybody. Yeah, yeah. One way or the other, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work its way well, up. Well, it makes sense. It's the essence. Right. So wherever you're <laughs> off kilter... Yeah. It's moving you back to that center. And then from that place, you can describe, re-describe to yourself who you are outside of any rule. And then you can recalibrate your why. And then the why becomes the bridge that then now transforms your hows and your whats. Mm, and so yeah. your hows and your whats were, hows and whats, like how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Those always have your essence in them, but oftentimes you've, you, you've built those out of a vow of like, I'm never going to be poor again. And so by the time you get out there, you feel so far from who you truly are inside. And so getting that, that fire rekindled allows for a realignment. Yeah, yeah. And I remember times where you would piss me off because I would be, woe is me, or I would, I, I mean, I was in pain or I was grieving yeah. or, I, you know, there was things that felt real to me. And out of that, I was making poor decisions at times. 
And I distinctly remember the times where you'd go, well, Josh, but that's not you. Now, I, I understand that you just did that or that you feel that or that you think that, but that's not you. And I remember internally going, what, what are you talking about? Like, no, this is me. I chose to do this. I am acting out this way. I am feeling like you can't tell me this is not me, but it's because I couldn't see that back to that essence piece. Mm-hmm. Now I understand, okay, it's not me in the sense of what, what I'm choosing to look at or engage with is not me. It's not the truest sense of me. Mm-hmm. It's not that essence part of me. And you would, you would help me kind of replug into that mm-hmm. truest version of myself and essentially recalibrate and keep moving forward. Yeah, one of the most extreme versions of that is I, I had a client who I did the essence exercise with. He got on fire. Everything was cruising along. He, he's an event space creator, and he landed a gig with like the, the longest standing fashion iconic company ever and did a big thing in Beverly Hills and like was just, I mean, like outer capacity was just, we, we, we got him reconnected to his inner capacity and then he took it out into the world and it was just like, oh my gosh, like you are now internationally known. And um, his outer capacity so exploded that he ended up, um, in, ended up having a, a moment where he made some bad decisions around his marriage and was <clears throat> called me in a shame place. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I, I've blown it. All the work we've done is for naught. I'm so sorry. Like, almost like, I know you're going to fire me as a client. Sure, yeah. And I had had that. Um, I think the most important thing, whether it's through a coach or a consultant, is you have at least one person in your life, and, and there's certain people that are gifted at this. You're, you're gifted at it, is where they're so good at creating a mirror place where you can see clearly through their feedback you get glimpses of who you really are and that person holds that space for you. Um, you know, accountability to me looks like someone not shaming you for bad behavior or for giving you a, a disciplined accountability program to beat yourself up. But it's someone that knows who you really are and can just r- remind you, dude, that's not who you are. Yeah. And so I did that for him on the call. He goes, this is going to be a heavy call. And he'd done some behavior that was really shameful to him. And I said, no, this is not going to be a heavy call. I go, because that action is not who you are. And he, he, he same, same reaction as you. He's like, dude, that is who I am. I did it. And I'm like, no. <clears throat> and it's, there's some shameful behaviors that all of us indulge in, whether it be thoughts where it's, it's so connects to an old identity that is yeah, self-protective. Yeah. And if somebody can be genuine and authentic and just say, I don't care how shameful what you did is I know that's not you. It, 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 it's like the biggest gift we can give each other as friends or coaches or consultants. It's, um, it, it takes practice and skill to learn how to do it. But also once you, even if you don't have friends that are good at that, if you get locked onto it, you can actually get your friends to help you do that. You can say, Hey, that, uh, Bible scripture that you're giving me right now or this accountability plan, that's actually not what I need right now. Sure, yeah. All I need is just a space to kind of vomit this stuff up and have you remind me that that stuff isn't me. And I don't care. I'm not, nobody I know is good at doing the vomit. And there's even <laughs> yeah. less people. And the reason we're not good at it is because we've done it in the past and people have handled it wrong. Yeah. They've used it almost as a weapon against us to kind of 
to assuage their own insecurities. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. good. And now I can help Josh and I can look like I'm the knight in shining armor. And the best thing I can do when someone does it, I can go, dude, I'm no different than you. I've done stupid stuff. Yeah. I still struggle with those temptations, but I'm here for you and let's help each other remind each other. Um, so I do some crazy stuff in coaching. I, I, you know, I recently called you and two other guys when I had one of the biggest failings in my marriage. And I remember calling you and thinking in my mind, if I tell Josh this, he, I, I'm, our friendship's going to be over because he's going to go, Hey, if you treat your wife that way, I mean, I didn't hit her. I didn't do anything. Yeah, sure. I didn't do anything where the police would come, but I, I was very insensitive to my wife yeah. in a way that I knew would hurt her. Yeah. Um, and that's the hard part about having a good marriage is you can, you have the goods on your spouse. And so in a moment you can, you can, you know, and so I, I feel like I betrayed her uh, in terms of, I hurt her and was insensitive in a way that, that when I called you for help, you, you were like, well, dude, thanks for telling me that. And I'm here for you. Yeah. And that I'm here for you part was, and you didn't say, well, what are you going to do to fix this? You didn't, you know, you were just like, okay, well, what do you want to do next? I'm like, well, we're still friends. You're like, yep. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't expect that. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I'd done was so tied to this shameful place of hiding in me that to expose that to anybody other than God felt like imminent destruction. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a pivotal moment, not just for my marriage, but for me as a man, you know, and it's, it's these really tender, vulnerable places where we come out of hiding, um, that feel really risky, um, that, that we all, we all need those places. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was also a couple points with that is one, you didn't just call any Tom, Dick and Harry. No. We have six, seven, eight years, now, seven think, years, seven, eight years, seven, eight like years. That, yeah of building trust. Right. And so we have the relational equity that we've created the space for one another in that. Yeah. And I always say you need at least one, no more than three yeah. people of the same sex that you can reach out to, to, to that you've built that trust with. Yeah. To invite them into those spaces. Yeah. And another thing you said that I think is really important is God is sometimes we are afraid to share things with God, even though he sees and knows everything. Yeah. But he's also the safest person to share with because he's unconditional love. He's the totally. essence of unconditional love. So some people hide their shame in their relationship with God yeah. because they're terrified to let anyone else see it because yeah. we are human. You know, we don't, it's no guarantee that we have unconditional love. Yeah. And I will say this in the beginning of this journey, because seven, eight years ago, I moved to Reading and had no friends. Yeah. And, you know, you and I began our friendship back then, but, um, in my beginning of this journey, you know, I went to a men's group and we, we shared in a small group and it was an artificial environment where guys were learning how to do what we do now. Right. And it was just an environment where it felt risky, but it, the room was sealed with confidentiality. Um, and I think sometimes in the beginning you have to find, it could be a therapy group. It could be, uh, a group of men that kind of informally do what we were doing but you just um so before i met you and didn't have any friends i would go to god with this stuff yeah and he would sometimes would just bring the face of somebody to mind to call that i barely knew and i go oh. and i would call and i wouldn't necessarily go and do a deep dive like you and i did 
But I would share a little bit, and sure enough, the person would go, oh, man, I'm totally here for you. And it began to build what you and I have. Yeah, it's just that yeah. posture of, I'm going to find out some way to find places where people handle vulnerability well. And there are little oases everywhere. And sometimes it might not be everything you need, but if you get a little piece here and a little piece there, you can begin to build that muscle up yeah. um, to where you can get rid of the junk that's defining who you are and be able to see clearly enough to, to dive into your essence and know who you are. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So back to the two extremes that men fall into normally yep. is, you know, we've touched on, and I know the essence piece or the essence exercise moves people to the center regardless of where they're yep. at. Yep. Can you give some practical application for guys that were like me in the sense of, you know what? I feel self-aware. I've been yeah. pursuing personal development, personal health, inner healing, any and all of that. Yep. And I just can't seem to hit my stride or build momentum. It's that external that feels either foreign or scary or unknown or impossible. Yeah. Like what are some other than meeting with you and yeah. committing to a process, what yeah. are a few things that you can give our audience where they can start to plug into um practical ways to move them from the inner yep. into building that momentum in the outer. Yeah. So most people that are have overindulged in their inner capacity uh, or have built it up to the point where it needs to be connected to action. Yeah. They're stuck in what I call the ER loop, which is the education revelation loop. So meaning usually if you find yourself reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of YouTube videos, and then spending your time in coffee shops, talking about your latest epiphany. Yeah. Um, that's all great. And, yeah. and you can feel like you're making progress, but at some point the rubber has to hit the road. And so for the rubber to hit the road, um, I challenge people to create what I call vital behaviors. So uh, number one is uh, you've, you've assessed the heck out of yourself. So the four steps are assess, dream, decide, act. So if you're an inner capacity person, you've done plenty of assessing. Yep. You've probably done some dreaming, but usually your dreaming doesn't have any practical deadlines attached to it. Yeah, right? yeah. So the first Guilty. thing is you have to change your dream and actually have some measurable goals within the next three to six months. That's step one. Take your flowery, poetic, juicy dream and put something that is bolt on a practical and then, and then announce it to someone that's going to like ask you about it. Like, how are you doing with that? Right. So that's number one. Number two is then, um, is then to then decide and, and decide what are the two or three things and no, no more than three that you're going to do rhythmically and at minimum every week that you believe are going to propel you towards achieving that measurable goal. Okay. And so that I call, so it's assess, dream, and then decide. You make a decision. These are the two to three things. And you, and you have to just be willing to be wrong because you, those two or three things that you pick, three weeks later, might, you might decide, actually, those aren't the things I need to be doing. And you can change them, but you have to make a decision. And I'm going to stick to these for two weeks or three weeks. So you decide. And then you act. And act means you integrate it into your calendar. And you have some way to measure whether you did it every week or not. Um, I use a weekly checklist. And it's just a checkbox, and I just say I did it or I didn't. Okay, yeah. And that's it. Um, so that's how you connect inner capacity to outer capacity is you 
you go from dreaming, you change your dream so it has a practical aspect of it. You make a decision and pick a vital behavior is something that you do rhythmically that you believe is, and you only pick two or three of them that you believe are going to allow you to achieve that goal. And I usually recommend only focusing on one area of your life to do that. We, we overestimate how much we can integrate, especially if we're used to not having the rubber hit the road. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah. really does. And then, um, and then you create a feedback loop where you don't completely disconnect from your inner capacity work. So at the end of each week, I will tell people, take a minute and measure. Because when you go out into the implementation integration part of this, you, you can tend to go back into old habits, especially if you're really good at your inner capacity work. You can begin to disconnect from who you authentically are. You can begin to go into old performance patterns that kind of drove you to inner capacity work to begin with. So the way to, to, to integrate these worlds and, and, and make sure that you don't get off track with your inner world is just a quick metric is what percentage of this week do I feel like I was connected to my authentic self? And if your answer is 40%, that's actually pretty good. Because most of us, if you really pause and measure it, on any given week, I'm, I, I've been doing it week after week after week. And on a good week, I'm maybe 50 or 60%. And I'm fine with, hey, 40% of the week, I checked out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was performing. You know, I mean, I just had a call this morning before this call, and I would say, I don't know, maybe that was a pretty good one. Maybe 60% of the time I was authentic. The other 40%, I was in some weird performance thing trying to make myself look bigger than I was or, you yeah, know, yeah, absolutely. Or shrinking down to seem humble. Oh, the, you're the expert. I'm not, I mean, whether than just holding my own, like I'm not the expert. I'm, I'm just, I'm just here contributing the value that I think I can contribute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. What are, um, I, cause I know that I've been guilty of it where, you know, you get these moments of inspiration connected with decision and you're like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to set a budget, I'm going to run 3 miles a day, I'm going to yeah. change exercise and I'm going to meditate as well to like yeah. get everything checked to the box. What are, you know, you said to it's best to focus on one area. Yep. Do you have, you know, two or three or four or five kind of primary areas that yeah. you can kind of you can look at and weigh and go, okay, you know what? This is my either weakest area or this is the one area that I want to focus. Yeah. So I, I do an assessment with my clients um, and it's really simple. I use seven areas, but the top, I would say you don't have to do seven. Um, usually you'll know kind of what the two or three ones that have the most juice on them are. So like for me right now, mine are my finances, my health, uh, and my work. Those are the three areas. I feel pretty good about my relationship with my wife. I actually feel really good about it. So I'm not overly focused on that. Um, my friendships are in good shape. So I'm not really, so there's, there's three areas. So the areas I would suggest looking at are finances, um, work, um, your spiritual life, your mental life, relationships. Um, what else? Oh, and fun. That's a fun. big one. Yeah. So, so I, I think of it this way. I think mind, body, spirit. Okay. Body's health. Spiritual life is spiritual life. Yep. And mind is more kind of like, how am I doing? Am, am I, do I have obsessive thoughts? Okay. So mind, body, spirit, fun, work, relationships, finance. Okay. And then I rate those one to 10. 
So I can do that in about 10 minutes, just one to 10, those seven areas. And then usually one of them will kind of jump out at me. I, I only allow myself to work on two areas at a time. And it doesn't mean that I'm not paying attention to the other stuff, but I kind of let that hum along as normal. And I push in to, to either one or two. So right now I'm pushing into my health and my finances. And then I have, and I've been doing this for a long time, so I've learned that I have the capacity to really have no more than one or two vital behaviors in each one of those areas. Okay. So like right now, my vital behavior for health is I go on a walk every morning. I've been doing that now for 60 days, um, and it's become like automatic. I went for a walk this morning. Um, and I, what I used to do in that area, though, was what you talked about before, which is, oh, my gosh, I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. I'm going to sign up for this triathlon four months from now. Sure. I'm going to go on YouTube, and I'm going to do exactly what this seasoned triathlete recommends that beginners do, and it requires 10 vital behaviors, and I'm actually going to do all those and sustain that for three months. I'm going to do the event, and then it's all going to come crumbling down because it was too much too soon for me. Even though I followed the beginner's plan, and at the same time, I'm going to get my debt paid off, and I'm going to deepen my relationship with my wife, and I'm going to go on three vacations a year with my kids and my family, right? I would have this sure shiny huge plan. Yeah. And now it's like, I'm going to take a walk every day. Right. And what happened was after three 30 days of taking a walk every day, one Saturday I woke up and I went, I want to go for a swim. And I just was natural. So I went, well, I'm going to go swim this morning. And then the next weekend it's like, I'm going to swim and I'm going to bike because it just feels natural. And so after like 60 days of that, I'm up to walking 30 miles a week, which is the equivalent of a marathon. I don't do it all in one day. And I'm doing a mini triathlon every other weekend, but it's coming from this. It started with just, I'm just going to walk every day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And how has, let's use the walk as an example, yeah. focusing on the physical for you. How has that created a ripple effect into other areas? Yeah, so here's the cool thing is any area where you're not accomplishing your practical goals, um, everything connects to everything. So if you, even though I'm not focused very much on my finances a little bit, uh, I'm letting everything else just kind of be on maintenance. What's happening is because I had to come face to face with what's really, what I'm really believing deep inside about my health and, and myself Whatever, wherever you're stuck in, getting breakthrough in that one little micro area, it's usually the same pattern that's blocking you over here and over here and over here. So if you, if you dare to kind of ignore everything else and focus on this one area, what you'll find is after about 60 to 90 days, you'll suddenly spontaneously have breakthrough in other areas. So like my wife and I's relationship has improved a lot because she's watching me overcome stuff that she's seen me struggle with for five years and it's there's this attraction that's happening she'll say i am so proud of you i i i've never seen you be so consistent with this and i'm not even soliciting it she's just so it's it's allowing it's it's her level of respect for me is going up and like any man i love being respected by my wife so and my, my love language is words of affirmation so i'm getting that that tank filled without working on it at all. It's just a natural outcome of that. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think 
there's there's so much value in consistency, right? I mean, I know myself as well as so many other guys, they hide in inconsistency, right? Where if you can keep restarting something, you don't have to keep the pressure on it long enough to find out where you're hiding. And the thing about consistency is, like you said, it kind of forces you out of hiding because you're going to have a bunch of mediocre performances, right? And you have to just be honest, like, well, I'm mediocre right now. Whereas if you just focus on like the Facebook worthy or Instagram worthy moments, you can kind of create this delusion that you're super awesome all the totally. time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm mediocre and, and I'm actually proud. Like, and I feel like being honest with my mediocrity is giving me the potential to build on a foundation that can have me have these shining moments that um, in the midst of uh, it's, I think the hardest thing for me in it is um, sometimes I just feel the dullness of that. Okay. You know, it's like men, men leave lives of quiet desperation. And I'm more connected to that now than ever. It's like, huh. Um, but there's some comfort in it, like admitting, yep, I have some areas where I'm just kind of, it's just kind of quietly desperate for now. Absolutely. And it's okay. It won't stay there forever. If I can just settle into it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and not flinch, not want to run from it and create some new amazing Instagram-worthy moment. Absolutely. Like a triathlon that I finished and I have the medal around my neck. And then you, your pendulum swings the other way at yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like I just had a session with you. Because yeah. it's there's so much. It's kind of like... I feel like we opened the fire hose of depth that you offer. And so um, thank you yeah, so welcome. much for taking the time. How can it, I mean, if, if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, wow, I need to find Dave because I need him to flip my world upside down. Yeah. Two things. One is practically, how can they find you? What are sure. you up to? What do you have going on? Yep. And also, um, what is one or two things outside of everything else you've shared yep. that you would want to say to the audience um, just just out of your heart for where you're at right now? Sure. Um, so number one, uh, my website, davidcharlsoncoaching.com. And my last name is C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N, coaching.com. Uh, I have a virtual retreat coming up. Uh, executive retreat at the end of September. Okay. Uh, I have, uh, and then I do one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. So okay, you can look, hook me up that way. Um, and then the two things, um, I'm the thing I'm the most passionate about is helping people overcome shame. Mm, yeah. And um, there's a video I have called "Shame Demystifying Shame." Dot. No, I can't remember. It's if you go on Vimeo and and type in "Demystifying Shame," you'll probably find it. If not, we'll add the link to the show notes. Okay, cool. Um, but in that video, um, the easiest way I know, so the way to know that you're in a shame situation versus fear, because sometimes fear is just like, oh, I feel stuck. I feel paralyzed. Shame has its own flavor. If it's shame dominant, if the stuck feeling is shame dominant, it's, it is usually you'll know it because you'll be angry at the world or, or you just want to hide. So either want to okay. be blaming everybody or you want to be hiding. Um, and the easiest way to overcome that is with two things is healthy vulnerability, which could just be 
sending someone a text to say, hey, I'm struggling. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, healthy vulnerability. Just a little tiny dose of it is all you need to kind of help pop you out of it. Um, and then compassion, because as you say it out of your mouth, I'm struggling, you'll f- usually most guys feel like, oh, God, that feels weak. It feels yeah. um, demasculate. Um, you know, it feels, uh, and it's just to have compassion for that part of you that isn't necessarily the masculine guy that you want to be yet. So that's it. Just healthy vulnerability and compassion. Those two can unlock a lot. That's it. Simple it's, it's yet easy. really hard. So easy. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like after this, I would, I would just, just that, that, that's a two-step process. Yeah, to two-step program. Yep. To your authentic <laughs> self. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much. Um, like I said already, it's it's just been a privilege and an honor to not only have you on as a podcast guest, but also as a friend. Um, I attribute who I am today in in large part to you being one of the voices that has brought me to this place. So thank you for lending your strength and your wisdom to our audience and to me throughout the years. Yeah. And thank you for, for doing something for men because there's not a lot happening for men. So I just really know that more and more men are going to come to this because it's this, the men don't, there's a hard, it's hard for men to find this. Mm, So thanks for consistently creating the space um, and going for it because I know that, you know, however long it takes, you know, the numbers of people that will be attracted to this will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow because I don't see many places where this is happening. Yeah. So I'm excited to be in this space. Awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. That's it. Okay. Call it a wrap. Yeah.